So this morning we're going to talk about the, the biggest subject of them all, life. Life can be a puzzling thing. It's been said, life is like a knot that refuses to come untangled. No matter how hard you keep trying to untangle it, you seem to get nowhere. Poet Matthew Arnold, he penned a dark description on life as well. He said, most men go about here and there, eat and drink, chatter and love and hate, gather and squander. They're raised up, hurled down into the dust, striving blindly, achieving nothing, and then they die. Wow. Ever since life began, man has struggled to make sense of life on their own. Greek mythology likens the human condition to being condemned to push a huge boulder up a hill only for it to roll back down on you every time it nears the top and you repeat this action for eternity. And I believe every person can relate to this struggle because we exert, we work hard and almost reach the top of our goals only to fall back and start again. Do you ever feel as if you're just a slave to that repeating calendar? It just happens every, every day, every month? Like, like the rat in a spinning hamster wheel or an inescapable maze. We expend lots of energy and effort, yet we just spin in place. Life feels like a mean joke sometimes, and life is winning and you're losing. Have you ever felt this way? That no matter your efforts and purposes and goals, you just seem to be running in circles. Running and running and running. Trying and trying and trying. Lots of movement, but no progress. I'm sure if we were all honest this morning, we have felt this way. Life has felt this way. And then take the problems of the world at large, the wars, the injustice, the disease, the evil at work, the breakdown of our society, and lay that burden on man's shoulders as well. Man, this, seems, this world seems to be out of control. So is my life. This causes each one of us at some point to have, have to ask this age-old question, is life worth it? Is this life really worth living? What's the meaning to life? If life is just hard and then I die, is it worth it? Philosophers have been taking their best shot at this question for all of history. And today, you and I are going to go on this quest to examine this and find the answer to that question, is life worth it? The author of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to lead us through this as he summarizes his personal journey of understanding the meaning of life. In fact, the entire book of Ecclesiastes is a search for meaning and purpose. And it's only written from one perspective, though. This is critically important here. He's writing from a perspective is, that is life apart from God. The whole book is written from this perspective. Life without eternity. If this life is all that there is, is it worth it? There's a phrase that's used 29 times in this book of Ecclesiastes. This under the sun describes this perspective. 
the author is trying to make sense of life without God in earthly things. And our author is the most equipped human for this task. He introduces himself to the assembly of people in verse 1. Read with me. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, though he doesn't give us his name directly, our preacher can be none other than King Solomon. If anyone could find the meaning and purpose for life also on earth apart from God, it was King Solomon. He was uniquely qualified. And Solomon was young. We're told in 1 Chronicles, actually, that he was tender before the Lord. He knew God. And God comes to Solomon and he says, Solomon, ask me for anything. I will give it to you. You can have anything, Solomon. What would you ask for? If God said, hey, you have one wish, ask. Obviously, I'm going to ask for infinite more wishes, man. Obviously, infinite wealth, power, fame. Solomon, he asked God for wisdom. Wisdom to rule and serve God's people as their king. And God is so pleased with that. He responds and tells Solomon, look, because you didn't ask for for gold, for treasures, for the head of your enemies, for power and fame, I'm going to give you wisdom, Solomon, but also I'm going to give you everything else too. Everything. And Solomon, he became the wisest, wealthiest, most famous, powerful man to have ever lived. There has been no one that can compare to King Solomon. He is really the only one that can fully search the world for meaning apart from God. Because King Solomon's earthly resources were unlimited. Everything the world has to offer was at his disposal. He didn't have to deal with this infection that the rest of mankind has to deal with. What? I'm sure you've heard of it. This infection, this disease has been sweeping through the hearts of men and women ever since the Garden of Eden. You and I have both experienced it. It's a hard virus to shake. The world has a bad case of the if I only hads. It's a nasty infection. So many people live in this world and believe, if I only had this thing under the sun, then I would finally be happy, be satisfied and fulfilled. I'd have meaning and purpose in my life. Have you ever said those words? If I only had blank, I'd be happy. I've said it. We're unhappy in life, and we think, well, maybe the problem is I don't have enough money. If I only had twice the amount of money I'm making now, then I'd be satisfied. If I only had that new job, then I'd be happy. If I only had a different spouse, then I'd be satisfied. If I only had a nice house, a boat, that project was complete, more sex, vacation. If I only had this, I would be happy. What happens? We get that thing we thought would fulfill us only to find that it wasn't enough. Still not satisfying, there's still something missing. So now, we think, well, obviously, the problem 
is I didn't get enough of it. So if only I had a bigger boat, a bigger sum of money, like a million dollars, an even better job, then I'd be happy. But the cycle of misery just continues. Is this kind of life worth it? Solomon, he wants to save us from the trouble. He tells us up front the answer to this question in verse 2. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Is life worth it? If this life is all there is, is it worth living? He says, no. No. Life is not worth living. From the human point of view, from the life that was without God, Solomon says it is meaningless and empty. He uses this word, vanity, 38 times in this book, so we need to be familiar with what it means. It's the Hebrew word hevel, meaning emptiness, futility. It's only a vapor. It's useless and meaningless. It's a wisp of vapor, a puff of wind, a mere breath. It's the nearest thing to zero. And he says life is vanity. Like your puff of breath seen on a cold winter morning that quickly disappears. It's another way of saying, why bother? Who cares? Whatever, man. Nothing matters. Whatever disappears quickly, leaves nothing behind, and doesn't satisfy is vanity. Like that rat trying to find its way through an inescapable maze. We do the same. We chase after fulfillment, purpose, satisfaction, thinking is just up ahead, just around the corner, only to find that there's nothing there and we are let down by the world again. We catch what we thought we needed, only to realize it was nothing but a vapor. Gone. Solomon's message throughout this book of Ecclesiastes is to us, look, I tried it all, bro, so you don't have to. And I found out that all of life on earth is meaningless and dull. So don't waste your time. This morning, we're going to take a brief look at some of his findings in this book. But throughout the entire book, he searches every place that people search for meaning and purpose. He's going to use his position, his power, and his deep pockets to experiment with everything imaginable in this pursuit He looks at science, nature, wealth, pleasures, achievement, religion, materialism, fame, power, the value of hard work, a long life, a large family, having a good name. He does everything to the extreme. Yet, there's still something missing. And remember, he's searching under the sun today, life apart from God, what the world and man has to offer. Let's keep jumping in. Verse 3, he says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it arose. 
The wind goes towards the south and it turns around back to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Then to the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. You can feel almost the burden of his words. Sun rises, it goes down. Wind goes this way and that way, back again. Rivers run into the sea. Water returns back to the river. Then it returns again to the sky. Nothing is new. Apart from God, creation is monotonous and dull. And Solomon says in verse 3, what's the point of working hard and achieving things in labor if all of life is a cycle and I make no real impact and then I die and then the next generation comes? Chapter 2, he, he tells us some of his great works, some of his achievements on earth. Solomon knew how to get things done. He was a hard worker. Chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us, he, he says, I made my works great built myself houses, planted vineyards, made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. He also builds the temple. He builds the temple for for God, and it took him over seven years to build it. It was unlike anything else ever built. The amount of design and gold and marble and architecture put into this thing. It was incredible. You want to know how long it took him to build his house? 13 years. He he spent twice as much time and effort to build his own dwelling place. I mean, MTV Cribs would have stopped airing after showing his house because nothing else would ever compare. If building and improving and amassing great riches and accomplishments could give true meaning to life, Solomon would have found it. And he's left feeling like, what's the point anyways of planting forests and trees and gardens and good things on this earth if I'm going to die and I'm gone and all the things here on earth are still going to be here and remain? I was reminded of this last time uh, we visited Allie's grandfather in Connecticut. Every time we go, one of the nostalgic things for Allie to get to do is to go see this little blue spruce tree her grandfather planted the same time she was born. Over the years, the tree has grown more mature, still kind of small, but it struck me, this tree is going to outlive Allie and you and me. What? This little tree sapling that grandpa bought at Home Depot for $13 is going to outlive me? Life is short, insignificant. Is this life worth it? There's still something missing. Generations of people come and go. People are born and people die, he says. Then the next generation comes, but nothing really changes. All you can do is accumulate things and leave it to the next hopeless generation. You remember when you were a teenager? However long ago that was for each of us. Someone older than us would always say, Hey, enjoy life, kid, because before you know it, it's going to go right past you. It goes by so fast, it's already be half over. And as a teen, you're like, what do you say? Whatever, man. Yeah, right. You don't know what you're talking about. Whatever, old man. Then you grow up, 
and you're not a teen. And you're 30, and then you're 40, and then 50, and then pretty soon you're telling the next gener- teenage generation, hey, kid, enjoy life because it's going to fly right past you. And then you die, then the next teen gets old and keeps it going. It's the cycle. Life has been compared to being a parade of coffins and cradles. People are born, people die. Is this life worth it? If this life is all that there is, is it really worth living? Calvary Chapel, are you feeling encouraged yet? <laughs> Man, you probably just had a hard week. Come to church, you want to be encouraged, and you got this youth pastor up here just depressing you. Everything is hopeless, and you're going to die. <laughs> Hang with me, though. Hang with me. Solomon is going to get there. God put this Bible, this book in the Bible actually for a reason. He makes no mistakes. And this man, Solomon, with no limitations, he searches these cycles of nature, hard work, achievements, and finds them to be frustrating and empty, especially considering the brevity of life and the impending doom of death. So if I can't be satisfied by achieving and working hard, then hey, maybe the answer is to ignore all of that and focus on playing hard, man. I'll work hard so I can play hard. Satisfy my flesh, satisfy my senses. Maybe there I can find purpose. His conclusion again, though, in verse 8 is this. Let's read. All things are full of labor. Man can't express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You know, Solomon, he was a guy that worked hard, but he definitely knew how to play hard. He had unlimited resources. He wasn't infected with the if I only hads. He had it. He had it all. And he says here in verse 8, No matter how much he sought to satisfy his eyes, his ears, his fleshly desires, it was never enough. Listen to him describe his life of pleasure in chapter 2. I'll read it for you. He said in verse 7, I acquired male and female servants, had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces, acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments of all kind. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Catch this, verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. You know, it's one thing for me to get up here and say to you, like, let me save you the trouble. I've tried life. Life has nothing pleasurable, worthwhile. Don't waste your time. It's not going to satisfy you. You can trust me. Wouldn't take long for someone to say, "Uh, hey, bud, you look like you just haven't really lived life long enough. Are you even 30? Like, you just got to get out there and live a little more. You haven't made it very far around. You don't even have two pennies to rub together, Andrew. I mean, it's one thing if one of us just said, 
I bought everything that I wanted. Great. You bought everything you wanted from Dollar Tree. With all of the $23 you have, Andrew, they're, they're selling $1 ribeye steaks. You bought 23 $1 ribeye steaks. You got sick and that's how you died. The, the words $1 and ribeye steak should not be in the same sentence. <laughs> but Solomon, he had unlimited resources. Solomon, he had everything. And when he says he had everything his eyes desired, he really did have it all. Solomon's annual income was 666 talents of gold. It's $1.9 billion today, every year. Money, like no one else has ever seen before. Luxury, like none other before. Silver was said to be counted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Virtually everything he built seemed like it was covered in gold. People traveled from across the whole civilized world to come and see the marvel of King Solomon. There was no Instagram or social media that he could go viral on either. He gained this, this following from word of mouth alone. He had so many servants in his house as his servants were having kids and their kids were becoming his servants too. I mean, I imagine he had so many people, servants in his house, like there's a, there's a guy at every door just ready to open it. That's his job in life. Just open this door whenever Solomon comes by. Never has to open a door himself. Servants for everything. He lived luxury, leisure. Maybe that's what we want. I just want leisure. I want so many servants around me where I actually don't have to do anything. Maybe that will be the key to purpose and happiness if I just pursue leisure and luxury. Like, imagine how awesome it would have been for him. You wake up, and you're like, hey, you, turn my alarm clock off. Hey, grab my slippers and robe. Now put them on me. Be honest. Do you ever wake up and really just don't feel like brushing your teeth? He had a servant for that. Hey, you're going to brush my teeth for me. You know, food is made, the clothes are all laid out. Solomon probably had the latest and greatest technology to make his life easier. We're told in other places he tried partying, drunkenness. He tried to satisfy his flesh with wine, he says, and possibly other mind-altering substances and drugs. I mean, nothing was off the table for Solomon. He loved music. There was no Spotify back then. And he couldn't listen to his favorites like the Beatles or Taylor Swift. So he just hired them. He said, hey, you're going to live here in my house now. And uh, when I want to be entertained, you're going to entertain me, okay? Lennon, go play the guitar. Taylor, you sing. And once I fall asleep, then you can leave. Tuck me in. <laughs> Solomon says, whatever stimulated me, whatever pleased me, I didn't hold back. Like, I went crazy. Sex, he had it. How many wives did he have? 700. 300 girlfriends on the side. 1,000 women. That's a different sexual partner every night for three years. These ladies just hung out and just were always there just to do whatever he asked them to do. No limits. He's doing all of this to an extreme none of us can even imagine. 
his pursuit of pleasure and fame and wealth and leisure, the luxury, the good life, it was ultimate. And surely this is enough, Solomon. I mean, that's what me and you were thinking. We're, we live with this if I only had infection. And we're thinking, surely this did the trick. You got it all. That had to have given him sat, satisfying happiness. And we even think like, God, why not me? Like, I, I'm sure I'd be satisfied with, if I were in Solomon's shoes, God, you don't have to give me $2 billion. Just give me like $2 million. Trust me, God, I'll be a better steward than him. Maybe if I had more sex, I'd be happy. He has everything our hedonistic world today is striving for. Yet in verse 8, he still says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All of the money, all of the beautiful women, all of the comfort the alcohol, the music, the entertainment, it wasn't enough to satisfy my eyes and ears, which are the gates leading into my heart. It didn't fill the emptiness inside. There's still something missing. Verse nine, he goes on, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor there will be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. You know, there are three words that are uttered on the daily by children and adults, young and old alike, every single day, I am bored. There's nothing new under the sun. Life is boring. Even with all the illusions of newness in technology and the things we can distract ourselves with, life just falls flat. I'm bored. What possible reason could we be bored? Well, here's why. There's something missing still in our hearts. A void that can't be filled with technology, achievements, and things, and satisfactions, and labor. Despite all of man's work and progress, he says nothing is truly new. History just continues to repeat itself. Life starts to feel monotonous, monotonously the same. But Solomon, what about new technology? You've never experienced an iPhone you, you, don't, you haven't seen the weapons of today, Solomon. Sure. The device is new, but wars aren't new. Hatred isn't new. Communication isn't new. Tyranny isn't new. Greed isn't new. We, we think something is new, but often it's just because we forgot that it has already happened in the past in another way. New sounds promising. Many live on this idea that they are just one new relationship, one new hobby, one new possession, one new job, one new degree away from silencing my heart regarding purpose and meaning. And they spend their whole life spinning in the cycle. This life is all that there is. Is it worth living? Man, this guy has a problem. Can I just depress you a little further? Yeah, someone say, yeah, you can. So Solomon says in verse 11, 
There's no remembrance of former things. Hey, when you are gone from this earth, you will be forgotten. Question. How many of you can say you know the name of your great-great-great-grandmother? What's wrong with you? That's your great-great-great-grandmother. You should know that. Oh, we're quickly forgotten, are we not? Think about the billions of people that have lived throughout human history, and there's probably only a few hundred significant people that will be remembered through all of history. Gosh, Solomon, give us some relief, man. This is sickening. Life apart from God is futile. Life under the sun is meaningless. What's the point of even going on? Solomon, though, you're the wisest man to have ever lived. What, what does wisdom say regarding life's purposes? Well, chapter 1, six, verse 16, read it with me. He writes, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to no wisdom, to no madness, to no folly, and I perceived that this is also grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wow. Instead of looking outwardly, for an answer to his problem, Solomon communes with his own heart, he tells us. And that's a problem because he's not finding any answer to his problems within. And this has been the problem with mankind for all of time. Man's wisdom cannot fix man's problems. Man cannot fix himself. In fact, Solomon says, the more I understood my problem, the more miserable and grieved I was. He hasn't found an answer within the problem. So, the answer to man's problem must be outside of man. Guys, we're approaching the light here. There's a glimmer of hope. In fact, most of us, I believe, get too much of man's wisdom on man's problems. What do we do when we come home from work? We sit down at the end of the day, pull out our phone, turn on the computer, and just say, I, I want to relax. We just decide to go read all the news that's going on in the world today. Isn't that just a great and uplifting idea? You know, I, I really want to get a good night's sleep tonight, so before I go to bed, I'm just going to check the daily headlines. What? That's just so good and uplifting, right? Crime, wars, disease, and you get up from the computer or your phone and you're wiser than you've ever been. More knowledgeable than you've ever been about the world's condition. But what's the result? Grief, sorrow. Why do we do this? Man's wisdom not only creates problems on its own, but it also cannot provide an answer to man's problems. All man's wisdom can do is educate us further about the problem. But without God in the picture, there are no real solutions to the problem. You know what? This makes the highly intellectuals, the atheist philosophers, some of the most miserable people. They know there is no solution offered within man for the problem. 
Famed existentialist John Paul Sartre, he summed up his life in this quote, I exist, that is all, and I find it nauseating. Thanks for your wisdom. Man's wisdom only leaves people feeling sick, hopeless. We have a problem here, don't we? Is life worth it? Is life under the sun, life apart from God, worth living? Solomon, he tried everything man and the world could offer, and he says it's all empty and worth nothing. It's vanity. It's nothing, empty, unfulfilling. Again, is life worth it? No. Life apart from God leaves man and woman with this unshakable feeling that there's still something missing. Okay, what's missing? Just tell me already. What's missing? What, what am I missing? What's the problem? We have to stop looking for the answer to our problems within man, within ourselves. You and I we're created for more. more. More than just life under the sun. There's more to you than just body and consciousness. You were created for eternity. You were built different. Man was made in the image of God. God breathed his life into man. We were created spiritual beings. And this, this is where that nagging, empty, something is missing feeling is coming from inside of you. It's a spiritual need. There's within man this desire to have purpose, a desire to have fellowship with God. And if you deny the spiritual nature of man, then man can never be satisfied because the deep down spiritual thirst will always be haunting him. There's still something missing. Still something missing in your life. There's still something missing in your life. I'm just spinning in circles, stuck in this wheel. I know there's got to be more to life than this. Here it is. What's the meaning to life? What's the purpose of my life and your life? To have fellowship with God. To have a relationship with God. This is the reason you were created. This is the specific purpose you were made for. And no amount of money, personal relationships, fame, power, success, achievements, pleasure, None of that will satisfy because here's the problem. A spiritual need cannot be met with a physical solution. It's not going to work. It's not that pursuing friendships and relationships and success and wealth and achievement and pleasure are bad. It's not even that they're bad. They just can't satisfy that inner thirst in you. Think about it. If you make anything, make anything at all, and it's made for a specific purpose, until that thing is involved in its purpose, it's going to feel empty and frustrating. Like the bird. Consider the bird. What were birds made to do? Fly, right? They're, they're made to fly. 
birds weren't made to sit in a cage on a wooden dowel. What an empty, vain life of a bird in a cage. Yet, the person who is yet to come into a relationship with God is like a trapped bird in a cage. There's nowhere to go. You're forever stuck within the despairs of this life under the sun until you come and find purpose in relationship with God through Jesus. And then when you do that, when you come into relationship with God, then suddenly everything in my life has meaning. Everything matters. Everything has value. Life can be enjoyed. You can be free. Solomon does come to this conclusion at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 12, verse 13, let's read his final words here. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Fulfillment in life can only be found in a relationship with God, an obedient relationship. We, we only find fulfillment when we engage in what we've been created for. God, your creator, made, made you for him. I can already hear it, though. The skeptic may say, maybe you're the skeptic. Well, I don't have to live with purpose, Andrew. I'm just going to enjoy life and then die. Who cares? What does it matter anyways? I can still live without purpose. Friend, I will never be enough. There's always going to be something missing in your life. No matter how much you try to ignore it and, and divert and distract yourself from it, always empty, always reaching for the top, but never making it. No human can live without purpose successfully. There will always be something missing. You, you and I were created for more. And every purpose for life outside of relationship with God is futile and meaningless. Just ask my main man, Solomon. So, friend, is there still something missing in your life? Maybe on the inside today, you're actually crying. Outside, yeah, you have a mask on, sure. Inside, the peace and the joy and happiness is missing. Jesus is speaking to you today. The same words he cried out in John 7, verse 37. He stood and cried out. I'll read it for you. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Or in the emptiness can be gone today. You can be filled today. Jesus is saying, look, you have a thirst in you that can only be satisfied in me. So come, come to me. Come to me and drink. Accept me into your heart. You can truly start living today. And notice he said he even wants to fill you to the point of overflowing. You're no longer a dried up, thirsty wrinkled sponge. You're an overflowing cup pouring out the goodness of God's grace. Life lived with true eternal satisfaction and it can start right now.
You know, we sang that song today, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood. And I, I think it puts it beautifully, this whole thing. I, I, better than I can say. I'll just read, read a couple this verse here for you. It says, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But the far, from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. You made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time, I had hope. Friend, you can have hope for the first time today. Life for the first time. Meaningful life. He's made a way for us to fulfill our purpose despite our sin. He came and answered for our sin. He paid on the cross for our sin. So now he just says, come. I, I have a purpose for your life. You're here for a reason. So come to me. Please come. And for those of us here who are Christians, I believe some of us may be feeling a little dried out or a lot. You've been listening and examining this depressing futility of life and examining life under the sun today and you feel it. Life still feels like an inescapable maze. You have been a slave to that calendar. Nothing is new in life anymore. Life feels dull. Life has just become this thing that I complain about. Life is too busy. Life is too hard. I understand that feeling. I do. Brother or sister, you may be losing sight of the meaning of your life. Yes, you know, you know your need for Jesus. and You know your eternal security is in him. But here's the question all of us Christians have to ask ourselves. How much of my daily life is being spent in fellowship with God? How much? I mean, that's my ultimate purpose and meaning for living. So how much of my daily time is being spent in fulfilling my purpose? You know, we aren't as Christians immune to life's sufferings. And we start to lose sight of our priorities and our perspective on life becomes jaded. We start to see life as being this vain and empty thing. Life is hard. Can't ever catch a break. I don't have joy in my life. I don't have joy in my life like these other Christians do. Why don't they complain about life as much as I do? Why, why don't I have that joy? What's wrong with me? Why don't I have what they have? Well, the question is, have you been truly fellowshipping, spending time with God? Don't get pulled into the futility of the human condition. Don't get pulled in. Satan is still tempting you to wonder, if I only had, maybe that's what I need to be happy. And yes, there are so many problems in life. We can't deny it. We have to deal with problems and suffering in life and face it and face them. But you can face the problems and suffering in life with the joy of the Lord. 
You can face the, the suffering of man without losing your own fellowship with the Lord. What you and I need to do is stay near to him. Remember the truth of, truth of his word. No, if we start to focus all of our attention on the problem and fall in line with the rest of the world looking for an answer within the problem, we're never going to find it. Christian, though, you have the truth. Point people to the answer to their problem, the person who's outside of their problem. The world's problems are spiritual. They need a spiritual solution. They need Jesus. The way we impact the world is not by fighting social causes to make the world a better place by our own ability. People don't need us. People need Jesus. Solving the world's societal problems is not going to satisfy a single person's spiritual thirst inside of them. Even if we could solve all of the world's problems, people will be disappointed again because there's just going to be another problem. Nothing is going to fit that hole inside of their heart. There's still something missing. There's still something more. And you have the answer, Christian. Don't get distracted. Go, go and show people that there's more to life than just what you see here under the sun. Bring them to Jesus. Friend, life is worth living with the joy of the Lord. Life is worth living only in his presence. Psalm 1611, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is the provider of fullness of joy lasting pleasures forevermore. What we need to simply do is abide. Abide in his presence and we will find that life is worth living. So if, if you need to come to Jesus, come. You can have that life today. You can get right in your fellowship with God today, Christian. Come back to him, abide with him, come. He's ready. You don't have to do anything else. Just come. He's going to do it. Come. Let's pray.